0: 10, erred down into the plain. Again Henry drove them back, again next day they returned, at last. After their force had been swollen to a 130.000 men, and by overwhelming numbers had compelled the Christians to keep within their trenches, they threw themselves upon the Portuguese outposts. After a desperate struggle they were repulsed and a celly from the town was beaten back at the same time, the Europeans seemed ready to meet any odds. With these victories, Henry was confident that Tangier must soon fall, he ordered another escalade. But all his scaling ladders were burnt or broken and many of his men crushed beneath the overhanging parts of the wall, that were pushed down bodily upon the storming parties. In this final assault of the 5th of October, two lures were taken who told Henry of immense succors now coming up under the kings of Fez, of Morocco, and of Tafelet. They had with them, said the captives, at least 100.000 horse. Their infantry was beyond count. Sure enough, on the 9th of October, the hills round Tangier seemed covered with the native armies, and it became clear that the siege must be raised. All that was left for Henry was to bring off his soldiers in safety. He tried his best. With quiet energy, he issued his orders for all contingents. The marines and seamen were to embark at once, the artillery was given in charge of the Marshal of the Kingdom, Almada. The Hercules of Portugal was to draw up the foot in line of battle. The infant himself took his station with the cavalry on a small piece of rising ground. When the Moors charged, they were well received, in spite of all their strength, one army being held ready to take another's place. As men grew tired, the Portuguese held their own. Henry had a horse killed under him, Cabril, his master of horse, fell at his side with five and twenty of his men, the cowardice of one regiment, who fled to the ships, almost ruined the defense, but one night fell. The Moorish columns fell sullenly back and left the infant one more chance of flight and safety. It was the only hope, and even this was lost through the desertion of a traitor. Martin Vieira, the apostate priest, once Henry's chaplain, now gave up to the enemy's generals the whole plan of escape. After a long debate, it was determined, not to massacre the Christian army, but to take sureties from them that Judah should be restored with all the Moorish captives in the prince's hands. These terms were accepted for it was soon known that escape was hopeless, but next morning a large party of Moors, with more than the ordinary Muslim treachery, made a last fierce attempt to surprise the camp, for eight hours, eight separate attacks went on, when all had failed, the retreating Berbers tried to set fire to the woodwork of the entrenchments, with the greatest trouble, Henry saved his timbers, and under cover of night fortified a new and smaller camp close to the shore, food and water had both run short, and the besiegers, who were now become the besieged, had to kill their horses and cook them, with saddles for fuel, they were saved from a fatal drought by a lucky shower of rain, but their ruin was only a matter of time, for it was hopeless to try on embark at on under the walls of the city with all the hosts of Morocco waiting for the first chance of a successful storm, but the losses of the native kings and chiefs had been so great that they were ready to sign a written, truce and to keep their cutthroats to the terms of it. On the 15th of October, Don Henry, for the Portuguese, agreed that Judah, with all the Moorish prisoners kept in guard by Meneses, should be given up and that no further attack should be made by the King of Portugal on any side of Barbary for 100 years. The arms and baggage of the Crusaders were to be surrendered at once, directly this was done they were to embark, with none of the honors of war, and to sail back at once to Europe. Don Ferdinand was left with twelve nobles as hostages for the treaty till Ceuta was restored, on the other side Zillah Benzela's eldest son was all the security given. Even after this, a plot was laid to massacre the Christian dogs as they passade through the streets of Tangier On their free passage to the harbor which the treaty secured them, Henry got wind of this just in time, and instantly embarked his men by boats from the shore outside the walls but his rear guard was set upon just as they were leaving the land and about sixty were killed, it was a terrible disaster, although his losses were but some five hundred killed and disabled, Henry was overcome with the disgrace, as he thought of his brother among the Moors, he refused to show his face in Portugal and shut himself up in suited, here, as he worried himself to find some means of saving Ferdinand, he fell dangerously ill, till fresh hope came to him with the arrival of Don John, whom Edward had sent to the help of his brothers with some reserves from Algarve. Henry and John consulted about Ferdinand's ransom and at last offered their chief hostage, Zobenzuela's boy, as an exchange for the infant. It was the only ransom, they told the Moors, that would ever be thought of, Ceuta would never be surrendered. Don John's mission was a failure, as might have been expected, and both the princes were now recalled to Portugal, where Henry steadily refused to go to court. Staying at Zagre's in an almost complete retirement from his usual interests, till King Edward's death forced him again into action. It was the unavoidable shame of the only choice given to himself and the kingdom that paralyzed his energy, and made him moody and helpless through this time of inaction and disgrace. Captive he saw his brother, bright and the saint, aspiring high with purpose brave, who as a hostage in the Saracen's hand betrayed himself his Liguard host to save. Last bought with price of sight a potent town to public welfare be preferred his own. The mere failure to storm Tangier was brilliantly atoned for by the bravery of the army and the repeated victories over immensely superior force. But now either Ceuta must be exchanged for Ferdinand, or the youngest and favorite brother of the House of Aveis must be left to die among the Berbers. Many, if not most of the Cortes, summoned in 1438 to Alaria to discuss the ransom, were in favor of letting Ciudad go. But all the chiefs of the government, except the king himself, thought it not just to deliver whole people to the fury of the infidels for the liberty of one man, even Henry at last agreed in this with Don Pedro and Don John. Edward was in despair, he was willing to pay almost any price to recover Ferdinand, and in hope of finding support he now appealed from his own royal house and his nobles to the Pope, the Cardinals, and the crowned heads of Europe. All agreed that a Christian city must not be bartered even for a Christian prince. Edward's offers of money and perpetual peace were scornfully rejected by the Moors, who held to their bond, pseudo or nothing, and their wretched captive, treated to all the filthy horrors of Muslim imprisonment and slavery and torture, died under his agony in the sixth year of his living death and the 41st of his age. 5th June, 1443. Before this his loss had dragged down to the same fate his eldest brother, King Edward, and but for the inspiration of a great purpose, which again put meaning into his life, Henry might have died of the same illness of soul. Every Portuguese burned to a revenge the constant prince, the Pope was called upon to approve a new crusade, levies were made and vessels built. When the plague broke out with terrible violence, and ravaged every class and every district as it had not since the days of the Black Death, the king, seized by it in his misery and weakness and bitter disappointment, fell a victim. The wreck of all his hopes left him with hardly a wish to live, and on September 9, 1438, at the age of 47, and after a reign of five years, he died at Tomer, in the act of breaking open a letter, but not before Henry had come to his side, to the last he kept on working for his people, and it was in the fatigue of traveling from one plague-stricken town to another that he caught the pest, among all the kings of Christendom there was never a better, or nobler, or more luckless and Alfred with the fortune of, and ready, Ethiord. By his last will there was fresh trouble provided for Don Henry and Don Pedro and the Cortés. His successor the child Afonso V now six years of age was strictly charged to a rescue Ferdinand even at the price of Judith, This was nothing to practical politics, but in naming his wife, Leonor of Aragon, along with Don Pedro and Don Henry, as guardian of his children and regent of the kingdom, he put power in the wrong place. The Portuguese were always intensely suspicious of foreign government, and after the age of Leonor tells they might well refuse a female regent. On the other side, King Edward's Queen, who had won his absolute trust as a wife and a mother, was not willing to stand aside for Pedro or for Henry. She began to organize a party, and she worked on her side. The nobles and the patriots counterworked on theirs. Don John was the first of her husband's brothers to take his natural place as a leader of the national opposition. Henry for a time seemed to waver between friendship and loyalty, all who knew the Queen loved her, but the people hated the very notion of a foreign female reign, like John Knox they could not be fair to the monstrous regiment of women, and their voices grew clearer and clearer for Don Pedro and his rights, real or supposed, the eldest of the young King's uncles, the right-hand man of the state since his return from travel in 1428, he was the proper guardian of the kingdom. Henry was a willing exile from most of court life. Though his support was the greatest moral strength of any government, John had begun the movement of discontent. But no one thought of him before his brothers, while they lived his only part was in helping them on their way. Donna Leona recognized her chief danger in Don Pedro, and tried to win him over. When she summoned Cortes, she pressed him to sign the royal writs, then she offered to betroth his daughter Isabel to her son, Pedro secured a written promise and wait for the opening of the National Assembly in 1439, here a fierce outcry was raised by a party of the nobles against the marriage settlement of their king, but Don Pedro was too strong to be put down, he moved on by slow and steady intrigue towards the regency he claimed, Henry had now appeared as peacemaker, and in his brother's interests arranged to compromise, the queen was to keep the actual charge of her children, and to train the little king for his duties. Pedro was to govern the state as, defender of the kingdom and of the king, the Count of Barcelos, soon to be Duke of Braganza, the leader of the factious and fractious party, was to be bought off with the administration of the Justice of the Interior. The Queen at first struggled on against this dethronement, fortified herself in Alenquor, and sent for help from her old home in Aragon, At this the mob rose in fury and only Henry was able to prevent a massacre and a war that would have stopped the expansion of Portugal abroad for many a day. He went straight to Alain 1439, talked Queen Leonor into a reason, and brought her back with him to Lisbon, where she introduced Afonso to his people and his parliament. For another year Henry stayed at court, completing his work of settlement and reconciliation, and towards the end of 1440 that work seemed fairly safe. The fear of civil war was over, Don Pedro's government was well started, Henry could now go back to Sagres to his other work of discovery. It was time to do something on this side, for in the past five years scarcely any progress had been made to Guinea and the Indies, chapter XII, from Bojadier to Cape Verde, 1441-5, but with the year 1441 discovery begins again in earnest, and the original narratives of Henry's captains, which old Azurara has preserved in his chronicle, become full of life and interest, from this point to the year 1448, where ends the chronica. Its tale is exceedingly picturesque, as it was written down from the remembrance of eyewitnesses and actors in the discoveries and conquests it records, and though the detail may be wearisome to a modern reader as a wordy and emotional and in scientific history, yet the story told is delightfully fresh and vivid, and it is told with a simple naivete and truth that seems now almost lost in the self-consciousness of modern literature. It seems to me, says our author, Azurara's favorite way of alluding to himself that the recital of this history should give as much pleasure as any other matter by which we satisfied the wish of our prince, and the said wish became all the greater, as the things for which he had dwelled so long, were more within his view. Wherefore I will now try to tell of something new, of some progress, in his wearisome seed time of preparation. Now it was so that in this year 1441, as the affairs of the kingdom had now some repose, though it was not to be a long one, the infant caused them to arm a little ship which he gave to Andam Gonzávez, his chamberlain, the young captain, only charging him to load a cargo of skins and oil, for because his age was so unformed, and his authority of needs so slight, he laid all the lighter his commands upon him and looked for all the less in performance, but when Andam Gonzávez had performed the voyage that had been ordered him, he called Afonso goers, another stripling of the infant's household and the men of his ship, who were in all twenty-one, and said to them, Brothers and friends, it seems to me to be shame to turn back to our Lord's presence, with so little service done, just as we have received the last strict orders to do more than this, so much more ought we to try it with the greater zeal, and how noble an action would it be, if we who came here only to take a cargo of such wretched merchandise as these sea wolves, should be the first to bring a native prisoner before the presence of our Lord, in reason we ought to find some hereabout, for it is certain there are people, And that they traffic with camels and other beasts, who bear their merchandise, and the traffic of these men must be chiefly towards the sea and back again, and since they have yet no knowledge of us, they will be scattered and off their guard, so that we can seize them, with all which our Lord the Infant will be not a little content, as he will thus have knowledge of who and what sort of people are the dwellers in this land, then what shall be our reward? You know well enough from the great expense and trouble our prince has been at, in past years only to this one end, the crew shouted a hearty, do as you please, we will follow, and in the night following Andem Gonsavis set aside nine men, who seemed to him most fit, and went up from the shore about three miles, till they came on a path, which they followed, thinking that by this they might come up with some man or woman, whom they might catch, and going on nine miles farther they came upon a track of some forty or fifty men and boys, as they thought, who had been coming the opposite way to that our men were going, now the heat was very great and by reason of that, as well as of the trouble they had been at, the long tramp they had on foot and the failure of water, and Gonzaga saw the weariness of his men, that it was very great, so let us turn back and follow after these men, said he, and turning back toward the sea, they came upon a man stark naked, walking after and driving a camel, with two spears in his hand, and of our men, as they rushed on after him, there was not one who kept any remembrance of his great weariness, as for the native, though he was quite alone, and saw so many coming down upon him, he stood on his defense, as if wishing to show that he could use those weapons of his, and making his face by far more fierce than his courage was warrant for, Afonso Goldhurst struck him with a dart and the moor, frightened by his wounds, threw down his arms like a conquered thing and so was taken, not without great joy of our men, and going on a little farther they saw upon a hill the people whose track they followed, and they did not want the will to make for these also, but the sun was now very low and they very weary, and thinking that to a risk more might bring them rather damage than profit, they determined to go back to their ship, but as they were going, they came upon a black moored woman, a slave of the people on the hill, and some were minded to let her alone, for fear of raising a fresh skirmish, which was not convenient in the face of the people on the hill, who were still in sight and more than twice their number. But the others were not so poor-spirited as to alleviate the matter thus. Andam Gonzávez crying out vehemently that they should seize her. So the woman was taken and those on the hill made a show of coming down to her rescue, but seeing our men quite ready to receive them, they first retraced their steps and then made off in the opposite direction. And so Andam took the first captives. And for that the philosopher Seth resumes the next chapter of the chronicle that the beginning is two parts of the whole matter, great praise should be given to this noble squire, who now received his knighthood, as we shall tell, for now we have to see how Nuno Tristam, a noble knight, valiant and zealous, who had been brought up from boyhood at the infant's court, came to that place where was Andam Gonsavez, bringing with him an armed caravel with the express order of his lord that he was to go to the port of Gali and as far beyond as he could and that he should try and make some prisoners by every means in his power. And you may imagine what was the joy of the two captains, both natives of one and the self same realm and brought up in one and the self same household, thus to meet so far from home. And now Uno Tristan said that an Arab he had brought with him, a servant of the infant, should speak with Gonsav as prisoners, and see if he understood their tongue, and that if he understood it, it would profit them much thus to know all the state and conditions of the people of that land, But the tongue of the Arab was very different from that of the captives, so that they could not understand each other. And when Nuno Tristam perceived that he could not learn any more of the manner of that land, he would fain be gone. But envy made him wish to do something before the eyes of his fellows that should be good for all. You know, he said to Andam Gonzávez, that for fifteen years the infant has been seeking in vain for certain news of this land and its people, in what law or lordship they do live. Now let us take twenty men. Ten from each of the crews, and go up country in search of those that you found. Not so, said the other, for those whom we saw will have warned all the others, and peradventure when we are looking out to capture them, we may in our turn become their prisoners. But where we have gained a victory let us not return to suffer loss. Nuno Tristam said this council was good, but there were two squires whose longing to do well outran all besides. Gonzalo de Sintra was the first of these whose valor we shall know more of in the progress of this history. And he counseled that as soon as it was night they should set out in search of the natives, and so it was determined, and such was their good fortune that they came early in the night to where the people lay scattered into dwellings, now the place between the two was but small, and our men divided themselves in three parties and began to shout at the top of their voice, Portugal, St. James for Portugal, the noise of which threw the enemy into such confusion that they began to run without any order, as ours fell upon them, the men only made some show of defending themselves with the Segais, especially two who fought with Nuno Tristam till they received their death, three others were killed and ten were taken, of men, women, and children, but without question, many more would have been killed or taken if all our men had rushed in together at the first, and among those who were taken was one of their chiefs, named Otahu, who showed full well in his face that he was nobler than the rest. Then, when the matter was well over, all came to Andam Gonzávez and begged him to be made a knight, while he said it was against reason that for so small a service he should have so great an honor, and that his age would not allow it, and that he would not take it without doing greater things than these, and much more of that sort. But at last, by the instant demand of all others, Nuno Tristam knight Andam Gonzávez, and the place was called from that time, Port of the Cavalier, when the party got back to the ships, Nuno Tristam's Arab was set to work again, with no better success, for the language of the captives was not Moorish but the Zanagoy of Sahara, the tongue of the great desert zone of West Africa, between the end of the northern strip of fertile country round Fez and Morocco, and the beginning of the rich tropical region at the Senegal, where the first real blacks were found, the Portuguese were in despair of finding a prisoner who could tell the Lord Infant what he wanted to know, but now the chief. Even as he showed that he was more noble than the other captives, so now it appeared that he had seen more than they, and had been to other lands where he had learnt the Moorish tongue so that he understood our Arab and answered to whatever was asked of him, and so to make trial of the people of the land and to have of them more certain knowledge, they put that Arab on shore and one of the Moorish women their captives with him, who were to speak to the natives if they could, about the ransom of those they had taken and about exchange of merchandise and at the end of two days there came down to the shore quite one hundred and fifty lures on foot, and thirty-five mounted on camels and horses, and though they seemed to be a race both barbarous and bestial, there was not wanting in them a certain sharpness, with which they could cheat their enemies, for at first there only appeared three of them on the beach, and the rest lay in ambush till our men should land and they could rush out and master them, which thing they could easily have done, so many were they, if our men had been a whit less sharp than themselves. But when the moors saw that our boats did not land, but turned back again to the ship, they discovered their treachery, and all came down in a body upon the beach, hurling stones and making gestures of defiance, showing us the Arab we had sent to them as a captive in their hands. So our men came back to the ship and made their division of the prisoners, according to the lot of each and Andam Gonsavis turned back because he had now loaded his caravel with the cargo that the infant had ordered him, but Nuno Tristam went on, as he for his part had in charge, but as his vessel was in need of repair, he put to shore and careened and refitted it as well as he could, keeping his tides as if he were before the port of Lisbon, that which boldness of his many wondered greatly, and sailing on again, he passed the port of Galley, and came to a cape which he called the White Cape Blanco where the crew landed to see if they could make any captures, but after finding only the tracks of men and some nets, they turned back, seeing that for that time they could not do any more than they had already done. Andam Gonzavez came home first with his part of the booty and then arrived Nuno Tristam, whose present reception and future reward were answerable to the trouble he had borne, like a fertile land that with but little sowing answers the husbandman, the chief, or, cavalier, as he is called whom Adam as brought home was able to, make the infant understand a great deal of the state of that land where he had been, though as for the rest, they were pretty well useless, except as slaves, for their tongue could not be understood by any other Moors who had been in that land, but the prince was so encouraged by the sight of the first captives that he at once began to think, how it would be necessary to send to those parts many a time his ships and crews well armed, where they would have to fight with the infidels, so he determined to send at once to the Holy Father and ask of him that he should give him of the treasures of Holy Church, for the salvation of the souls of those who in this conquest should meet their end, Pope Eugenius IV then reigning, if not governing, in the great apostolic See of the West, answered this appeal, with great joy and with all the rhetoric of the papal register, as it hath now been notified to us by our beloved son Henry, Duke of Visu, Master of the Order of Christ. That trusting firmly in the aid of God, for the confusion of the Moors and enemies of Christ in those lands that they have desolate, and for the exaltation of the Catholic faith, and because that the knights and brethren of the said order of Christ against the said Moors and other enemies of the faith have waged war with the grace of God, under the banner of the said order, and to the intent that they may bestir themselves to the said war with yet greater fervor, we do to each and all of those engaged in the said war, by apostolic authority and by these letters. Grant full remission of all those sins of which they shall be truly penitent at heart and of which they have made confession by their mouth, and whoever breaks, contradicts, or acts against the letter of this mandate, let him lie under the curse of the Almighty God and of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, and besides, adds the chronicle, rather quaintly, of more temporal and material benefits, the infant de Pedro, then regent of the kingdom, gave to his brother Henry a charter granting him the whole of the fifth of the profits which appertained to the king, and, considering that it was by him alone that the whole matter of the discovery was carried out at infinite trouble and expense, he ordered further that no one should go to those parts without D. Henry's license and express command, the chronicle, which has told us how Adam has made the first captives, now goes on to say how the same one of the prince's captains made the first ransom, for the captive chief, that cavalier of whom we spoke. Henry's first prize from the lands beyond Bajander, pined away in Europe, and many times begged of Vandam Gonsavis that he would take him back to his own land, where, as he said, they would give for him five or six black moors, and he said, too, that there were two boys among the other captives for whom they would get a like ransom, so the infant sent him back with Gonçaves to his own people, as it was better to save ten souls than three, for though they were black, yet had they souls like others. All the more, as they were not of Moorish race, but heathen, and so all the easier to elite into the way of salvation. From the Negroes too, it would be possible to get news of the land beyond them. For not only of the Negro land did the infant wish to know more certainly, but also of the Indies and of the land of Priester John. So Gonsalves sailed with his ransom, and in his ship went a noble stranger, like Valardi the Dane, whom we shall meet later on, one of the kind which was always being drawn to Henry's court. This was Balthasar the Austrian, a gentleman of the emperor's household, who had entered the infant service to try his fortune at Ciudad, where he had got his knighthood, and who now was often heard to say that his great wish was to see a storm, before he left that land of Portugal, that he might tell those who had never seen one what it was like, and certainly his fortune favored him, for at the first start, they met with such a storm that it was by a marvel they escaped destruction, again they put out to sea and this time reached the Rio d'Aura in safety, where they landed their chief prisoner, very well vested in the robes that the infant had ordered to be given him, under promise that he would soon come back and bring his tribe with him, but as soon as he got safely off, he very soon forgot his promises, which Andam Gonsavez had trusted, thinking that his nobility would hold him fast and not let him break his word, But by this deceit all our men got warning that they could not trust any of the natives save under the most certain security. The ships now went twelve miles up the Rio Doura, cast anchor, and wait seven days without a sign of anybody. But on the eighth there came a moor, on top of a white camel, with fully one hundred others who had all joined to a ransom the two boys. Ten of the tribe were given in exchange for the young chiefs, and the man who managed this barter was one Martin Fernandez the infant's own ransomer of captives, who showed well that he had knowledge of the Moorish tongue, for he was understood by those people who knew no Tristam's Arab, Moor though he was by nation, could not possibly get speech with, except only the one chief, who had now escaped, with the Black Moors, and Amgonsavis got as ransom what was even more precious, a little gold dust, the first ever brought by Europeans direct from the Guinea coast which more thoroughly won the prince's cause at home and brought over more enemies and scoffers and indifferentists to his side than all the discoveries in the world, many ostrich eggs, too, were included in the native ransom, such that one day men saw at the infant's table three dishes of the same, as fresh and as good as those of any other domestic fowls. Did the court of Sagres suppose the ostrich to be some large kind of hen? What was still more to the prince's mind? Those same moors related. That in those parts there were merchants who trafficked in that gold that was found there among them, the same merchants, in fact, whose caravels Henry had already known on the Mediterranean coast, and whose starting point he had now begun to touch. Ever since the days of the first caliphs, the Sahara commerce had gone on under the control of Islam. For centuries these caravans had crossed the valleys and plains to the south of Morocco and sold their goods pepper, slaves, and gold dust in Muslim Sudan, Muslim Andalusia. Now, after 700 years of monopoly, this Moslem trade was broken in upon by the Europeans, who, in 50 years' time, broke into the greater monopoly of the Indian seas. When Diegema sailed from Lisbon to Malabar 1497-9, next year 1443 came Nuno Tristam's term once more. People were now eager to sail in the infant service, after the slaves, and still more the gold dust, had been really seen and handled in Portugal. And, that noble cavalier, for each and all of the three reasons of his fellows, to serve his lord, to gain honor, to increase his profit, was eager to follow up his first successes, company.